This is Solutions for Families, where parents come with problems and leave with solutions. I'm Paula Fellingham. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's episode is Stories and Poems on the Subject of Commitment. I love stories and poems, and I love sharing them. This one is entitled Determination. Nowadays, the four-minute mile is commonplace for championship runners, but at one time, it was scarcely thought possible. The man who proved it could be done was the British medical student, Roger Bannister, the man with a will to win. Bannister had been disappointed at his performance in the 1952 Olympic Games and had just about decided to give up on running and concentrate on his medical training. He told this to his coach. Roger, said his coach, I think you're the man to, you can break that four-minute mile. I wish you would give it one last chance before you quit, close quote. Well, Roger went home and thought about this. Before the night was over, he had crystallized in his mind in the form of an iron will, the determination that he was going to break the four-minute mile barrier before he quit running. He knew what he had to do. He would have to study between eight and ten hours a day in order to get through medical school. He'd have to train for four hours a day, run to build up his body to peak perfection, go to bed early, sleep nine to ten hours a night so his body could recuperate, all of this to build up for the next great day. He was willing to pay this price in addition to his previous training. For several months, he went through a routine just like this. Finally, that wonderful day came for the four-minute mile. It was a bad day for the competition. It had rained for five hours, and there was a sharp wind blowing, which made it a slow track. But Roger was not deterred. He told his running mates that he was going to try to break that four-minute mile. They encouraged him. They shook his hand. They said they would do what they could to help pace him. The first lap was right on time, 57.5 seconds. Because of the slow track, all the runners had to push in order to maintain that pace for the second lap. But when they finished, they were still on time, 1 minute 58.2 seconds. Then they went into the third lap, the hardest of all. This is when fatigue starts setting in. Roger and his running mates, they were very tired, but at the end of the third lap, they were still on time, three minutes and five seconds in all. They were on their way to the first four-minute mile in history. Roger said afterwards that he had never been so tired in his life as when he started that fourth lap. As he went around that first turn, his steps began to falter, and he felt dead. His head was throbbing. His lungs were bursting, and his mind began to say to him, slacken up, just try for a win. But as if in reply, something welled up inside of him and said, Roger, if you run until you collapse on this track, you are going to make this four-minute mile. If your knees hit this track, you're going to do it. For all these months you have trained, and you've got to. So instead of slacking the pace, he fought off the pain, picked up his knees, and began sprinting, numb and tired as his legs were. He forced them to go. As he hit the last curve, again, his stride began to break. Describing it later, he said that there seemed to be an eternity in those 50 yards to the tape, but he closed his eyes, gritted his teeth, and forced himself to hold stride as he pounded down the stretch. 
finally he took one last step which broke the tape and he collapsed into the arms of his coach. His time, three minutes, 59.4 seconds. Roger Bannister had broken through the four-minute mile barrier. I love that story. And I love the next one. It's called Boy we really have a swell bathroom, haven't we? <laughs> it was a gorgeous October day. My husband, Art, and I were down at the boat landing helping our friend Don drag his skiff up onto the beach. Art remarked wistfully that it would be a long time before next summer when we could all start sailing again. You folks ought to take up skiing like our family and have fun the year round, Don said. Well, doesn't that get pretty expensive, I asked. Don straightened up and smiled. You know, it's funny. We live in an old-fashioned house, legs on the top, that sort of thing. For years, we've been saving up to have the bathroom done over, to have it all remodeled. But every winter, we take the money out of the bank and go on a couple of family skiing trips. <laughs> Our, our oldest boy is in the army now, and he often mentions in his letters what a great time we had on those trips. You know, I can't imagine his writing home and saying, boy, we really have a swell bathroom, don't we? <laughs> yep, I love that. Priorities. And this next one's about priorities, too. It's called... Everyone Cries, There Wasn't Time. It's a very famous story by Irma Bombeck. Time. It hangs heavy for the bored, eludes the busy, flies by for the young, and runs out for the aged. Time. We talk about it like it's a manufactured commodity of some, that some, some can afford and others can't. Some can reproduce and others waste. We crave it. We curse it, we kill it, we abuse it. Is time a friend or an enemy? I suspect we know very little about it. To know it all and its potential, perhaps we should view it through a child's eyes. Quote, When I was young, Daddy was going to throw me up in the air and catch me, and I would giggle until I couldn't giggle anymore, but he had to change the furnace filter and... There wasn't time. When I was young, Mama was going to read me a story and I was going to turn the pages and pretend I could read, but she had to wax the bathroom and there wasn't time. When I was young, Daddy was going to come to school and watch me in a play. I was the fourth wise man in case the first three got sick, but he had an appointment to have his car tuned up and it took longer than he thought and there was no time. When I was young, Grandma and Granddad were going to come to Christmas to see the expression on my face when I got my first bike, but Grandma didn't know who she could get to feed the dogs, and Granddad didn't like the cold weather, and besides, they didn't have time. When I was young, Mama was going to listen to me read my essay on what I want to be when I grow up, but she was in the middle of the Monday night movie, and Gregory Peck was always one of her favorites, and there wasn't time. When I was older, Dad and I were going to go fishing one weekend, just the two of us. We were going to pitch and tend and fry fish with the heads on them like they do in the flashlight ads, but at the last minute, Dad had to fertilize the grass, and there wasn't time. 
When I was older, the whole family was always going to pose together for our family Christmas card, but my brother had ball practice, my sister had her hair up, and Dad was watching the Colts, and Mom had to wax the bathroom again. And there wasn't time. When I grew up and left home to be married, I was going to sit down with Mom and Dad and tell them I loved them and I would miss them, but Hank... He's my best man and a real clown, was honking the horn in front of the house, so there wasn't time. That's again by Irma Bombeck. This next one is called My Friend, Author Unknown. I love you, not only for what you are, but for what I am when I am with you. I love you, not only for what you have made of yourself, but for what you are making of me. I love you for the part of me that you bring out. I love you for putting your hand into my heaped-up heart and passing over all the foolish and frivolous and weak things that you can't help but dimly see there, for drawing out into the light all the beautiful, radiant belongings that no one else had looked far enough to find. I love you for ignoring the possibilities of the fool and the weakling in me and for laying firm hold on the possibilities of the good in me. I love you for closing your eyes to the discord in me and for adding to the music in me by worshipful living, by worshipful listening. I love you because you are helping me to make of the lumber of my life not a tavern, but a temple, and of the word of my everyday, not a reproach, but a song. I love you because you have done more than any creed could have done to make me good and more than any fate could have done to make me happy. You have done it without touch, without a word, without a song. You have done it just by being yourself. Perhaps that is what being a friend means, after all. And this next one is 12 Guideposts for Living, also author unknown. I will do more than belong. I will participate. I will do more than care. I will help. I will do more than believe. I will practice. I will do more than be fair. I will be kind. I will do more than forgive. I will forget. I will do more than dream. I will work. I will do more than teach. I will inspire. I will do more than earn. I will enrich. I will do more than give. I will serve. I will do more than live. I will grow. I will do more than be friendly. I will be a friend. I will do more than be a citizen. I will be a patriot. And this next one is by D. Malik. It's called Be the Best of Whatever You Are. It's one of my favorites. If you can't be a pine at the top of the hill, be a scrub in the valley but be the best little scrub by the side of the rill. Be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a bush, be a bit of the grass and some highway happier make. 
If you can't be a muskie, then just be a bass and be the liveliest bass in the lake. We can't all be captains. We've got to be crew. There's something for all of us here. There's big work to do and there's lesser to do and the task you must do is near. If you can't be a highway, then just be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be the star. It isn't by size that you win or you fail. Be the best of whatever you are. And the last one for this episode is anonymous. It's called, Which Loved Best? I love you, mother, said little John. Then forgetting the work, his cap went on, and he was off to the garden swing, leaving his mother the wood to bring. I love you, mother, said Rosie Nell. I love you better than tongue can tell. Then she teased and pouted full half the day, till her mother rejoiced when she went out to play. I love you, mother, said little Nan. Today I'll help you all I can. How glad I am that school doesn't keep. So she rocked the baby till it fell asleep. Then, stepping softly, she fetched the broom and swept the floor and tidied the room. Busy and happy all day was she, useful and helpful as a child could be. I love you, mother, again they all said, three little children going to bed. How do you think that mother guessed which of them really loved her best? All right, my friends, until the next episode, have a beautiful day and make sure you subscribe to my podcast. Tell your friends about solutionsforfamilies.com and come see me at paulafellingham.com. As always, I send you my love.